Well, we welcome all of you who are joining us online, as well as those of you who are meeting here at Central Campus, along with the rest of you who are meeting at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, Bears Paw, and South Calgary. Four pastors serving in the same community, they developed a tradition of meeting together for coffee once every couple of weeks. And on one of those occasions, one of the pastors said, you know, we regularly encourage people to be open about their struggles and their sins in order to find healing. And I think that we should practice what we preach by sharing some of our struggles and failures with each other. The others were a bit tentative, but they all came around and began to share. The first pastor said, well, even though on Sunday I, I look like I've got it all together, that I'm pretty easygoing, the truth of the matter is I lose my temper far too often at home, and I'm not an easy person to live with. The second pastor said, well, I need to confess that, you know, I, uh, I'm guilty of overeating far too often and occasionally drinking too much as well. The third pastor said, well, you guys know that I really like to golf, so much so that every once in a while I fake being sick on Sundays so I can go and play around at golf. Well, then all eyes turned to the fourth pastor. He hesitated, and, and so the others prodded him a little bit and said, well, come on now, we, we've told some of our struggles and sin, it's your turn. He said, okay, if you insist. He says, my big weakness is I love to gossip. And frankly, after this time of sharing, I just can't wait for this meeting to end. <laughs> no matter where we're at, spiritually, one of the things that we all have in common is our struggle with temptation and sin. In our study through the book of Romans, we've seen that the overarching theme is all about how we can have a close friendship with God and how sin can really mess that up. And today we're picking up in the middle of chapter 6 where Paul continues to talk about how we as followers of Christ can be set free from the power of sin. And so if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand and join me in reading a portion of today's scripture lesson. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and its instruction for life. And we would ask, Lord, that you would speak to us by your spirit. And Lord, that our hands would be open to you and what you want to say to us. We pray that you would remove distractions and you'd help us to focus and to receive all that you have for us. And I pray also that you would give us the courage to respond in what it is you ask us to do and what you ask us to be. For we pray it in your precious name. 
Amen. You may be seated. Some time ago, a young woman came up to me uh, following a service, and she said, Pastor, I have a friend who says he became a Christian a couple of years ago, and in all of that time, however, that I've known him, I've, I've never seen any change in his attitude or his behavior. And my question is, is it possible to be a Christian when there's absolutely no indication of a desire to know God more and to grow in one's faith, or a desire to find freedom from a habitually sinful lifestyle? Well, Paul answers that question twice in chapter 6, both in verse 1 and also in verse 15, with an emphatic, by no means. And in verse 2, he explains why. He writes, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Which leads to an even deeper question. If I am dead to sin, then why do I still struggle with sin? How can I find freedom from the bondage of sin? Well, Paul begins to answer these questions in chapter 6. And he essentially says, if you want to find freedom from the power of sin in your life, you first need to know some things. You need to know the truth of who you are in Christ. And furthermore, you need to believe or accept the truth of who you are in Christ. And thirdly, you need to act on or respond to the truth of who you are in Christ. Now, last week we examined the first point, or what we need to know about who we are in Christ. And I pointed out, in order to understand Paul's teaching of who we are in Christ, it's important we realize that we live in two realms. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, we read this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This passage is describing two realms which you see diagrammed on the screen. The realm above the line is the spiritual or the eternal realm. It is the unseen realm of ultimate reality, completeness, and wholeness. It is changeless, and it is timeless. It is the realm that tells me who I am in Christ. In other words, how God sees me in Christ. The realm below the line is the earthly or the visible temporary realm. It is the realm that has a beginning and an end, the realm of good and evil. It is the realm in which I say, I want to grow to be more like Christ. While both realms are real and important to God, we're told in the, the verse that I just quoted here in 2 Corinthians 4, to focus primarily on the eternal realm, the spirit realm. And this includes our human spirit. We have bodies and souls, but at the core of our being, we are spirit. It is what separates us from the rest of creation. Your body is not you. 
Not even your soul, which is a union between your body and soul, is wholly you. The real you is your spirit. Now the challenge we face is, even though we can see our bodies and the thinking and feel the emotions of our souls, when it comes to our spirit, we're kind of left to our imagination. So last time, based on 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul refers to us as, as people, as jars of clay, I introduced you to the vase at my right here to kind of serve as a visual aid, a, a aid to help us better understand our human spirit. Think of this vase as your human spirit inside of you, made to hold something. Now, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, were first created, this vase was full of the greatness and the glory of God. And God's character permeated every part of who they were, including their body and their soul. But in Genesis 3, when they sinned and they rebelled against God, their vase was emptied of God, as it were, and in its place was filled with a kind of evil poison, a sinful nature, or what Paul simply refers to as sin. Now, in verse 13, he writes this. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Now, notice he's personifying sin here. He's talking about sin as not sins, plural, but he's talking about sin as something separate from us, almost like it's another person. And so to help us understand our sinful nature as distinct from our new nature in Christ, I'm going to refer to sin or our sinful nature as Mr. Sin from now on. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, their vase was emptied of God and was filled with Mr. Sin. And in the same way that the life of God permeated and positively impacted everything that Adam and Eve did before they sinned, now Mr. Sin began to permeate and poison all aspects of their humanity after they sinned. And in chapter 5, Paul writes, because we are all born in Adam, Mr. Sin, or our sinful nature, has been passed on down through the generations, including to us. We are born spiritually dead, and our spiritual vase are filled, uh, our spiritual vases are filled with Mr. Sin, which affects not only our soul, in other words, what we think, what we feel, and what we choose, but it also affects the actions of our body. Where there was once love, there is now selfishness, possessiveness, and greed. Where there was once patience and cooperation, there is now unhealthy competition. However, writes Paul here in chapter 6, all that changes when you are justified by his saving grace. When you in faith receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
in the eternal spirit realm, a divine exchange takes place. All your sins are placed on Christ, and Christ's perfect righteousness is placed on you, making you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Through his sacrificial death on the cross and through his shed blood, Mr. Sin is removed from our spiritual vase, and the risen Christ fills our vase with his presence and makes us spiritually alive. That's the first key to finding freedom from the power of sin. We need to know the truth of who we are in Christ. Furthermore, you need to believe the truth of who you are in Christ. Look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Down in verse 11, we read this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, the word count is a bookkeeping term. And what God says is, look at the ledger. Look at what God has done. And believe not only that God tells the truth, but that he is totally trustworthy. Paul says just knowing the truth about who you are in Christ isn't enough. For example, you can know something is bad for your health. But if you don't believe it, and especially if you don't act on it, that knowledge is just taking up storage space in your brain unnecessarily. It's of no good. You have to believe it and you have to act on it on what you believe to be true. And the Apostle Paul says here, there are two things we need to believe. First, that you died to sin, and second, that you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. You need to believe when you put your trust in Jesus in the eternal spiritual realm, the old you, the part of you that was a slave to Mr. Sin and his influence, died with Christ and was buried with Christ. And the new you was resurrected with Christ, making you spiritually alive in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are no longer identified by your old habits, addictions, and behaviors. That is not you anymore. That old you, that old you in Adam that we talked about in chapter 5 is dead, buried, and is never coming back. Now, what we need to realize is that your spirit and Christ are one. Christ is in you. Your spiritual vase is full with the very life of God. Now that brings us back to the question that I posed near the beginning of this message. Some of you may be thinking, if you're still with me, I'd like to believe that I died to sin and that Christ is now living in my spiritual vase. But if that's true, then why is sin still kicking around inside of me? Well, let me clarify. I want you to look at verse 2. It doesn't say 
sin died. You notice that? It doesn't say sin died or that Mr. Sin died. No, Mr. Sin is still alive and well in your body, in your soul, or what the Bible refers to as your flesh. Mr. Sin is like a defeated army in a civil war that instead of surrendering and laying down its arms, simply fades into the countryside from which it continues to wage guerrilla warfare against the new government in power. And in the same way, even though Mr. Sin is no longer in control of the controlling entity in our spiritual vase, he will continue to harass you and seek to sabotage your Christian life as long as you live. So again, verse 2, as I pointed out, doesn't say sin died or Mr. Sin died. It says we died to sin or to Mr. Sin. So what does that mean? Well, it means we died to Mr. Sin's control over us. We died being a slave to Mr. Sin's influence. Oh, Mr. Sin will still tempt you, but he's not your master anymore. You don't have to do what he says anymore because Jesus is your Lord and your master now. Now, make no mistake. Refusing Mr. Sin's temptations is going to be a struggle because our bodies and our souls have been used to functioning under the control of Mr. Sin or our old nature for years. Our thoughts, our actions, our habits are used to kind of going a certain way. It's kind of like ruts in the mud, you know? You're kind of used to following the same pathway. And it's going to take time for that to change. For example, you probably noticed that while all computers have the same basic alphabetical keyboards, most computer companies feel the liberty to move the other key functions like the delete key, the back space key, the return keys, the up and down keys, kind of wherever they want. And I may be wrong, but I think that they're enjoying, they enjoy doing that just to make life difficult for the rest of us. And I say that because when I change computers or use someone else's computer, it's incredibly frustrating because instinctively I hit keys that no longer correspond to what I'm used to. And I have to slow down and I have to re-educate myself to the new location of those particular keys. Well, so it is in the spiritual realm. It is a struggle to re-educate our soul and our body to do what the new us in Christ wants to do. And we will experience many failures, but over time, as we consistently surrender ourselves to the life of Christ within us, his life will permeate every part of our body and soul and begin to change us one step at a time. And so, yes, you will experience all kinds of temptations, that will make you wonder if you died to sin. But God says, you have to believe me and not doubt me in this. This is no small thing, friends. A a seismic, I, I, I hope you're getting this. When you embrace Christ, a seismic transformation 
has occurred in your life. God in Christ has permanently, God in Christ has permanently joined himself to your spirit. He possesses your spiritual vase. Your spirit and he are one. He is in you. Believe it. And so if we want to find freedom from the power of sin, we need to know the truth of who we are in Christ. But we also have to believe, we have to accept the truth of who we are in Christ. And then thirdly, to find freedom from the power of sin, we need to act on the truth of who we are in Christ. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. As someone who has come alive in Jesus Christ, totally forgiven and accepted by him, in the spirit, eternal realm. You now have a choice. Whether you will offer yourself in obedience to Christ to live his life through you, or whether you're going to offer yourself to Mr. Sin or to the temptations coming at you from your body and soul and perhaps by Satan himself. As I indicated a moment ago, even though Mr. Sin was removed from our spiritual vase, Mr. Sin remains an alien power trying to dominate and control our bodies and souls. However, Mr. Sin is no longer in charge. He's no longer the boss. You died to his mastery over you, which means we do not have to sin because we are no longer slaves to sin. We do sin. And when we do, it's because we allow it to happen. Paul says it's a decision we have to make each and every day. Look at verse 13. Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Jesus wants to live his life through us, but we have to surrender our minds, our emotions, our wills, and our bodies to him. He won't force us to follow him or to obey him. He's a gentleman. Now, I need to clarify something at this point. When we're tempted to sin, we often think, you know, I would really like to give in to this temptation, but I know that God doesn't want me to. And so we say, God, I know what you want me to do, but I want to do this. And then we get into this battle. And in the end, we think that it's us against God. But the Apostle Paul says, time out. You need to understand the desire to do wrong isn't really you. If you are in Christ. That is Mr. Sin. Your flesh Perhaps Satan himself, who's calling out to you in the form of a temptation, but it is not the real you in Christ. 
So how do we know that? Well, let's say that you give in to a temptation. Let's say that you slander someone. I come along a couple of hours later, and you tell me what you did. And I ask you, well, are you sorry that you slandered that person? And if you're a true Christian, I can say with a high degree of confidence that you say, yeah, I wish I hadn't done that. I'd do anything for a do-over. You see, by acknowledging that, what you're telling me is the real you that is in Christ doesn't want to sin. And so often we think that there's, these, there's two of us inside. The good me that wants to do good and the bad me that wants to do bad. But the truth is, there aren't two of you. There's only one of you, the one who is in Christ. That other voice that you're hearing, tempting you to sin, isn't the bad you. No. It's Mr. Sin or Satan. All that to say, when you face temptation, the struggle that you're having isn't you against God. No, it is God and you against Mr. Sin and Satan. Now you say, you know, Pastor, why is this such a big deal? Well, let me explain it to you this way. When you're tempted to sin, it feels like the real you wants to sin. And so we conclude that there's something wrong with our heart. We conclude that there's something wrong with our devotion to God. And that really discourages us from finding the freedom from the power of sin because we begin to question our identity in Christ. We begin to question whether we believe that we are in Christ, that we have not been transformed by Christ, that Mr. Sin is still our master and he's occupying our spiritual boss. And then Mr. Sin says, well, since you feel like nothing's changed, you might as well give in to temptation. Since you're angry, obviously you're an angry person, and so you might as well express who you are by being angry. Since you're lustful, Obviously, you're a lustful person, and so you may as well give in to your sinful nature. And Mr. Sin convinces you that these sinful thoughts are you. But God says to those who have sincerely put their faith in Christ, that's a lie. That is not you. You are no longer who you were. You are now in Christ, and Christ is in you. You're a new creation, and you don't want to sin. And you are grieved every time you give in to temptation. You're a brand new person in Christ. You are not a slave to Mr. Sin any longer, and so you do not have to present members of your body to Mr. Sin. Paul says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. So let me give you a couple of examples of what this might look like. Suppose someone casts you in a negative light in a, in a meeting of some sort, embarrasses you in front of others around you, and, and, and makes you just look bad. And at that point, 
Mr. Sin says to you, excuse me, but, you know, no one should treat you this way. This person made you look terrible in the eyes of others. You need to set this person straight, and you need to put him in his place. And so can I borrow your mouth for just a few seconds in order to do that? And you have a choice to make at this point. And if you say, sure, then Mr. Sin, in his very special way, will go yada, 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 yada at this person who has offended you. And now the other person who offended you, now he's hurt. He's feeling attacked. And Mr. Sin says to him, oh my, this person's response was totally insensitive. This person's response was unnecessarily harsh, you know, totally defensive. You, you can't let this go. So may I borrow your mouth? And this person says, sure. And Mr. Sin goes, wah, 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 back at you. Well, you know where this is going. And things will escalate to the point in a best-case scenario, probably, where both of you will leave each other hurt, upset, determined never to speak to each other again, or for that matter, uh, to speak well of each other again. And Mr. Sin smiles and says, my job here is done. Or let's say that you're out of, out of town and you're on a business trip, and the hotel that you're staying at offers a number of those sleazy channels at no extra charge. And Mr. Sin, or Satan, whispers, uh, <clears throat> can I borrow your eyes for just an hour or two? I mean, you've got nothing to do. You're not tired. And again, you have a choice to make. And you agree to turn your eyes over to Mr. Sin. And after the trip, as you're driving home, you find yourself thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. So let me ask you, who is this I wish I hadn't done that person? Well, Paul says, I'm telling you, the wish, I wish I hadn't done that person is the real you in Christ. Whereas the I want to do this person is Mr. Sin who has taken up residency in your body and is asking you to lend him members of your body. Now, for the rest of the chapter, Paul makes a case for why we need to offer ourselves to God rather than to Mr. Sin. Look at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching, which is the gospel, by the way, that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 
I am using an example from your everyday life because of your human limitations. In other words, he's saying there, I'm not sure you're going to get this. And so I'll use an example you can relate to. And slavery, of course, was everywhere and back in those days. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful passage. Now Paul uses the metaphor of slavery here. And like all metaphors, it has its limitations. In fact, the metaphor troubles us because slavery is just unjust and wrong. However, I need to point out that in the Greco-Roman culture of the New Testament era, slavery was different from how we think of it today, at least in general terms. Even though over a third of the people of Rome were slaves, some of that was voluntary. Yes, many were not slaves by choice. But under Roman law, there was a thing called voluntary slavery. You see, if, if you weren't making it, if you didn't have a place to sleep, if you didn't have a way to make money in order to feed and to clothe yourself, if you didn't have a way to protect yourself, people in that day would choose to become a slave of someone in order to have these things and to be taken care of. Some of the slave owners were very benevolent and caring people. Now, of course, once you volunteered to be a slave, you lost all your rights. They were subject to the absolute power of their master, which reminds us, by the way, that you can't offer yourself to God halfway. God wants all of us. When we offer ourselves to God, we're saying we're all in. We're totally sold out, totally surrendered to God. But having said that, Paul uses the metaphor of slavery here to make this very important point. And the point is this. No one is really free. Let that sink in. No one is really free. Everyone is a slave to someone or to something. We may think that we're in control of our lives, but we really aren't. We're controlled by whatever we offer ourselves to, by whatever we seek as our highest good in life. Whether we believe in the true God or not, we all worship some God uh, and are slaves to that God, even if that God is ourselves. Some of us are slaves to the God of success and achievement. Some of us are enslaved to people and their approval of us. Some of us are enslaved to wealth or to a career. Some of us are slaves to personal pleasure, comfort, happiness, and the love of self, which 
unfortunately describes our culture today. And that is Paul's point. Whatever you seek is what will control you. Do you understand that? Whatever you seek is what will control you. And whatever controls you is your Lord and Master. And so says Paul, you have a choice. You can be a slave to Mr. Sin and all that comes with that. Or you can be a slave to God. You boil life down to its essence. And there is no other choice. Look at verse 16. Paul writes, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul says, let me spell it out to you. And to give you some of the reasons why you don't want to be a slave to Mr. Sin. When you choose to be a slave to Mr. Sin, just remember, you choose death in all of its various forms, including things like selfishness, lust, bitterness, materialism, worry, slander, drivenness, power, and on and on. In addition to this, in verse 19, Paul writes that sin leads to ever-increasing wickedness. In other words, these things that you're enslaved to relentlessly demand more and more time and attention and devotion and admiration and nurture from you. Sin wants all of you, and it multiplies and grows in complexity as you give into it. For example, when you choose to lie, let's say you tell one lie, and soon you find yourself telling 37 or more lies in order to cover up the one lie that you initially told. That's how sin grows and multiplies. In verse 20, Paul says, when you offer yourself to Mr. Sin, you may think that you're really free, but the only thing that you're actually free from is righteousness. The only thing that you're really free from are all the good things in life that God wants for you. Look at verse 21. He's actually talking to Christians there. And he says, I want you just to think about what your life was like before you became a Christ follower. Just go back and think about it. Think about the way you lived your life, the regrets you have. And then he says this, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? If we're honest, we have to admit that there's no lasting benefit, only pain, darkness, death, and a lot of regret. You said yes to Mr. Sin in the area of gossip, and it led to the death of a friendship. You said yes to Mr. Sin in the area of lust, and it led to the death of your marriage. You said yes to Mr. Sin in the area of misguided priorities, and it led to the death of your family. You said yes to Mr. Sin in the area of greed, and your business died or your finances imploded. Wherever there is sin, there is death. Sin has resulted in our greatest regrets. 
Now you may be listening to me and not buying any of what I'm sharing, but I know this about you. Your greatest regrets could have been avoided had you surrendered your life completely to Jesus Christ and followed his teachings and his way. Brian Clark, he tells about the best dog that he ever had. It was a golden retriever. And what he loved about this dog was he was so obedient. He says, I could go anywhere with this dog. I could go for walks in the neighborhood. I could go on bike paths. I never brought along a leash because he was just so obedient. He says, our neighborhood was full of dogs. And he says, one of the things I noticed is that most of those dogs were in kennels or they were in fenced yards or they were chained to a post or a tree. But he says, I never had to chain my dog to anything. You see, early on, he says, my dog figured out that if he surrendered his will to me completely as his master, what he got was almost unlimited freedom in return. And friends, there's a lesson in that story for all of us. I mean, if a dog can figure this out, surely we as humans can figure this out. We all long to be free from the power of sin and the death that surrounds us. But here's the irony, but it's also the truth. We will only be truly free when we are enslaved to God. We will only be free when we are willing to surrender and offer ourselves unreservedly in obedience to our Lord and Master. Paul argues, why would you keep caving in to Mr. Sin? Offering him members of your body when you know from your own experience it will just result in you being chained to the tree of death or despair or selfishness or lust or envy or bitterness or drivenness or worry or whatever. Church, it doesn't have to be this way. Some of you listening to me right now, you need to grab Mr. Sin by the collar. You need to look him in the eye and you need to say, listen, fella, you're not my boss anymore. You're not in charge of me anymore. I don't have to listen to you anymore and I'm not going to listen to you and fall for your deceptive lies anymore because I've seen what your lies do. When you do that, You will know the truth. And Jesus said, when you know the truth, you'll be set free. In verse 23, Paul concludes saying, for the wages of sin is death. He's talking to Christians here, folks. And he's reminding us that sin actually has wages. And those wages are death and everything that surrounds it. He says, it's your choice. You can be a slave to Mr. Sin and suffer the wages of your sin, or you can surrender to God, who offers us the gift of eternal life, which is more than just life forever in heaven, as wonderful as that's going to be. It also includes a full life, an 
abundant life and a true life of freedom in this time. Oh, it won't happen overnight. The struggle will continue. But because Christ is alive in you, it will happen step by step as you continually surrender each and every day, every moment of your life to his control. Bob George says, the human soul is like a wonderfully built grand piano, a magnificent instrument. However, the quality of the music that comes from it is totally dependent on who's at the keyboard. If a master concert pianist is at the keys, you will be carried along on the rapture of beautiful music. But let a gorilla have a shot at that piano. And the result will not only be chaotic music, but actual damage to the instrument. And friends, that is your daily choice, and it's also my daily choice. Will you present yourself to Christ, the master pianist, who not only made a way for you and me to be set free from the power of sin, but when we surrender to him, will produce the, musical, the beautiful music of his life in and through us? Or will you present your members of your body and soul to Mr. Sin? With the discord, the destruction, and the death that it produces. I ask you, who is at the controls? Who's at the keyboard in your life today? Paul says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument to wickedness. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. May it be so for each one of us to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that so desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes. And just take a moment now to go to the Lord and just make a little altar where you're at and just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what are you asking me? What are you calling me to do about it, Lord? Just reflect on that for a few moments.